Welcome to How to Apply to College Like a Pro, or as we like to call it, how to make sure you truly show how awesome you are through your college applications. This podcast is created and sponsored by members of Occam Education, a private education and admissions consulting team with over a decade in creating personalized education plans, tutoring, and admissions consulting. This is episode one, What's in the App? And if you're a parent, that's a reference to a scene from the movie Seven, Substitute Box for App. And if you're a student, that's a reference to a movie you should probably never make the time to see. Your distinguished hosts today are yours truly, Dan Brown and David George. Hello, everyone. And since this is the first episode, we'll take a second to tell you a little bit about us and why you should listen to anything we have to say about university admissions and what we're hoping to do in this inaugural season of the Occam Education podcast. Dave, do you want to talk a little about the company to establish our bona fides and give a little background? Sure. So Occam Education is an education consulting company. We work with students around the world, and we usually work with them for a few years leading up to their university applications. We make multi-year plans for students. Uh, We teach individual courses online, help construct resumes, and then ultimately, we take students through the application process. Sometimes we even help international schools with their guidance, counseling, and admissions processes. That's a great summary. And the purpose of this podcast is really to take all of the knowledge about high school education and university admissions that we've gathered over the years and package that into a podcast that anybody can listen to, which is the same thing we're trying to do by building mobile apps that parents and students can use to organize and navigate the application process. Uh, You'll see some references to that in the show notes later on. In short, if you didn't have a personal education consultant before you came to this podcast, now you do. So, Dave, tell our audience what we're going to be doing today. Today, you're going to overview the main parts of a college application, and I'm going to be steering you in the right direction, much as I did when I was your college professor and still often do today. That makes sense. So, before you tell me about what to expect inside the applications, tell me about the applications themselves. So these days, most universities are moving away from having their own applications. Some of the larger state schools, like the University of Alabama, and some of the more prestigious schools, like Georgetown and MIT, still use their own proprietary applications. But the general trend is for universities to accept a shared application that allows students to fill out certain sections once, and then allows universities to add additional questions and essays. Give me some more information, some names and numbers. The common application is the biggest shared application. It has over 800 universities, and most big-name universities, with a few exceptions, take the common app, as it's called. The next biggest is the coalition application. Basically, a couple years ago, there was a big technical problem with the common application, and a lot of universities said, this is crazy. We can't be dependent on a single application we don't even control. So they got together and made the coalition app. In the few short years that it has been out, however, it is already on the decline. There are about 90 schools that use the Coalition app. The last two big shared applications are the Shared University of California app, which is used by the nine UC campuses like UCLA, Berkeley, San Diego, and so forth. And then there is the Apply Texas app, which is accepted by over 60 four-year universities in Texas, plus some two-year colleges there. Okay, so basically there are a few shared application options that most universities use. And then there are some universities that only take their own university-specific applications. Correct. And some universities will accept more than one type of shared application. Do you want to say something about the deadlines for these applications? 
We're going to talk about that at length in the next episode, but basically you should know that there are typically a range of deadlines, even for the same university. Most of the earlier deadlines are around November 1st, but some are even earlier. Georgia Tech's early action deadline for Georgia students, for example, is October 15th. Most of the later deadlines are around December 31st, though some are even later than that. All right. So now take us to the insides of the applications, the questions and parts that make them up. First, are the applications very different from one another? And second, what's in them, generally speaking? So the applications are all pretty similar, but before we talk about the application you submit, I do want to note that the application as a whole is actually typically made up of three different types of things. And that's the forms your high school submits, the forms you submit via the application portal, and then the test scores you send directly from the makers of the standardized tests that you may have taken, such as the SAT or the ACT, TOEFL, IELTS, SAT subject tests, advanced placement exams, and any other tests that you can think of. Um, and then if you've taken university courses online or over the summer on campus, you would also have to send those transcripts uh, directly from the universities. So you're breaking this up. Um, what's inside the applications by who is sending the stuff? Right. So our first group of senders would be your high school. A quick note here, every university is going to have its own procedures and requirements but this general overview is going to apply to 90, 95% of universities. And I'll mention the most important exceptions. So your high school. They're going to send your high school transcripts to just about every university to which you apply. If your school uses software like Naviance, that's how your school will submit. If you are applying to schools through the Common Application or the Coalition Application, your school counselor will create an account with that site and send all of your transcripts through that account. Some schools do not ask for your transcript, but that is pretty uncommon. Um, can you give me an example of a school that does not require a transcript? I surely can, Dave. Well, every university is going to ultimately ask for a transcript, but some, like the University of California schools, so UCLA, Berkeley, UC San Diego, etc., they're going to ask you to self-report your grades. And then if you're admitted, they will ask you to send an official transcript to confirm what you reported. So pretty much every university asks for a high school transcript sooner or later? Right. And some universities, depending on when you apply, will also ask for a mid-year report, which is basically an updated transcript, including any grades you receive after you first apply. So what if I'm applying to Georgetown or another school that doesn't take the common application or the coalition application? So some universities like Georgetown or the University of Alabama require your high school to either physically mail or send an electronic copy directly from an official high school email address. You'll need to look up the specific requirements for these types of schools. So beyond high school transcripts, is there anything else my high school is sending? Beyond the transcript, you are probably going to need a couple teachers to write letters of recommendation for you. And the procedure is pretty much the same as the transcripts. If you apply via the common application or coalition application, your recommenders will get invitations to create accounts with those sites. And that's how they'll submit their recommendations. If you apply to Georgetown or MIT or somewhere else, you'll need to check their procedures. And then finally, most universities will ask for a counselor recommendation with the same submission pattern as the transcripts and teacher recommendations. We are going to spend a bit of time in a future episode discussing strategy concerning teacher and counselor recommendations. So let's keep going. 
What do you as a student personally need to send? The biggest thing you need to send in is the application itself. And this is going to be made up of four main parts. First, there's a personal and biographical information section. Second, there is an extracurricular information section. Third, there will be a section for your standardized test scores. And then fourth, there'll be some number of personal essays you need to complete. There's typically a fifth optional section that allows you to send different types of extra stuff like art portfolios, links to research you've done, a copy of your resume, or even text boxes that just say, hey, if you have any extra information you want to share with us, feel free. I'm going to assume the personal and biographical information is pretty straightforward. It normally is. Uh, sometimes you'll be asked in this section to describe your identity or background, but normally if you're asked these types of existential questions, they appear in the essay section. MIT is kind of the exception. An increasing number of universities are asking you to share your gender identity and sexual orientation if you'd like, but these fields are normally optional. Dan, talk to me about the extracurricular information section. Well, basically, you are asked to detail some number of activities, jobs, or internships. The number varies, but it's normally between 8 and 10. This is where you would list any volunteer work you've hopefully done. Uh, you might also be asked to list awards or academic honors you've garnered. We have a full episode coming up dedicated to completing this section, so let's talk briefly about the testing section. Yeah, so this, in the year of COVID-2020, is the section that is under most upheaval. Basically, in years past, universities had straightforward policies. The University of Notre Dame, our alma mater, said, yo, you need to send SAT or ACT scores. And by the way, if you send AP or SAT subject test scores, that'd be great. We'll definitely consider those. Wake Forest University, not our alma mater, but a great school nonetheless, was uh, test optional. And you got to choose whether they should consider your test scores or not. This year, everything is kind of bonkers. A lot of schools are saying that they are not requiring test scores, but they haven't clearly said how they're going to evaluate applications that don't have them. In other words, internally, most schools normally use a scoring rubric as part of the application admissions process. Applicants get different scores for different parts of the application, with test scores being one part of that rubric. Many of those schools that are not requiring test scores this year are still going to consider test scores from applicants that send them. Well, one big exception to that is the University of California schools. Is it not? Didn't a judge in California just issue an injunction preventing them from even considering test scores for the next few years while they were going to be test optional? Yes. Right now, the UC schools are legally prohibited from using test scores at all. That could change, though, as the court case proceeds. And that's pretty much the theme of 2020. Things are changing rapidly. A number of schools that required standardized tests a few weeks ago are now test optional. If there's one thing we can expect, it's that change will be rapid and that universities will probably not be very transparent in how they're going to use test scores. Transparency in university admissions is like a collision of two black holes. You pretty much never see it, but if it happens, it sends waves through the universe. Did you practice that? That was a pretty tortured analogy. I did. I love astronomy, and it did not come together uh, that particularly well, but it does provide me an opportunity to note that gravitational waves were observed this year for the first time 
and that they actually rippled time space. I think we should all ponder that for a second. Yeah, thanks for that. Let's get back to test scores. Because you often report the scores on your applications, but then you need to send them to all the universities, right? In normal pre-pandemic times, you would usually need to send official test scores to each university to which you apply. But not to the University of California, even in normal times and pre-lawsuit, right? Right. Some universities, like the University of California schools, let you self-report your scores, and then they'll just ask you to confirm them later with official score reports sent directly from the testing agencies, if you're admitted. So what do I as a parent or applicant need to do this year? So this year, you're going to need to look at every university's policies at the time you apply, because they are going to change. If a school requires official copies of SAT, ACT, or other scores, then you'll need to send official copies from the testing sites if you have them. And what if I don't have official scores because of the pandemic? Well, I would contact the admissions office and see if they'll accept your application. My feeling is that virtually every school will waive the SAT and ACT, but maybe some will not. Most universities are still requiring TOEFL or IELTS scores to prove English proficiency for international students. I do not think that the English proficiency requirement will be waived. But I do think schools will become even more flexible in allowing students to take other English proficiency exams online. So basically, send test scores if you have to, but what if a place is test option? Sending test scores when they are optional or what test scores to send is a bit of a strategy game, and we'll discuss that further in a later episode. But basically, if your scores are super high, send them, and if you are asked, say that you would like them to be considered. If your scores are not high, don't send them. And we'll discuss later how to tell what scores the university considers high. So the last major part of the application is the personal essays. Yes. And this portion can stretch from no application is required to there are five required applications. And it really depends on the university. Arizona State, for example, does not require a personal essay. Other large universities like Penn State used to not require essays, but now they do. My feeling is that as more universities become test optional because of the pandemic, you might see universities adding additional application essays. But maybe not. It's already September, so any changes universities want to make essay-wise would need to take place pretty soon. Who requires more than one essay, and what are these essays about? Great question, Dave. So in general, the more competitive admission is to a university, the more essays that university requires. But there are some exceptions. University of Tulsa has a handful of medium-length essays, and it's not the most competitive university. And Harvard only has two 150-word essays that are required. Uh, it does offer a longer optional essay, but it goes to great length to emphasize that it is optional. But is it really optional, like, say, if you want to get in? <laughs> uh, I would say no, but I can't really tell you that for sure. Well, then who could? Well, no one really. The thing is, it would be virtually impossible for any admissions officer to ever tell you before you apply and are then compared to other applicants what you need to do to get into the most competitive universities. Why is that? Well, the most competitive universities are typically trying to craft an extremely diverse student body. And most of them are trying to do that with about 2,000 students. So if you think about universities wanting to have at least one person from all 50 states, over 100 countries. They also want to have nice percentages of students coming from different racial and religious backgrounds. And then there's gender identity and sexual orientation. So 
you know, the reason I mention all of that is the admissions process is a bit of a crapshoot. One year you might get admitted to Harvard, but not to Dartmouth. And the other year, the opposite. Once you delve into small numbers, there can be a lot of variance. All right. So we're going to mostly cover the application essays in another episode. But what are the main points I should know? Well, these essays will mostly be submitted with the applications themselves. So you'll either paste in your essays to text boxes or you'll attach a file with the essay. Most universities require a big personal essay and you should take this pretty seriously, especially this year. Universities are going to look for writing as a substitute for test scores. So make sure you take the time to brainstorm, outline, draft, and edit, which is the process you'll be taking us through in an upcoming episode. And you did mention an additional information section before. Do you want to add anything to that? As our esteemed colleague Noel will discuss in an upcoming episode, you really should submit a resume if offered the opportunity. Otherwise, the additional information section really is optional. One good thing to note in this section would be any sorts of learning challenges you've faced, if you have a learning difference, or there was a significant event that occurred that isn't discussed in detail elsewhere. You should probably note that there. Is there anything else you want to add about the applications before we wrap this episode? Organization is really the key to making sure you complete your applications and to not developing an ulcer while you're doing so. Unfortunately, every university does things a little bit differently. Dartmouth College, for example, has long required a peer recommendation, meaning you have to get one of your friends to write you a rec. Now it strongly encourages one. The thing is, it's really only described on the Dartmouth admissions page, even though Dartmouth accepts the common application. So the main point is, it's good to know what to expect from your applications, but you also need to know the specific university requirements, and you should really go to their individual admissions pages to find that information. And that will take some time. The information can be spread over multiple pages, and sadly, it's not always well organized. Thanks, Dan. Good advice. Uh, check the official admissions web pages, even if you don't think you need to. And that wraps this introductory episode of How to Apply to College Like a Pro. Check the show notes for a summary of the episode and a link to our new mobile app, VitaMe which helps you track your college applications and is available in Apple's App Store. We hope you're looking forward to episode two, 50 Shades of Deadlines, as much as we are.